correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey folks, welcome back to Me and Steve. I'm here again tonight with my buddy Steve. Hey folks. And we've got a, a special guest tonight who came to us, well, kind of last minute, but it's okay because he's a good friend of the show. So, hello, GM Hooley. Hello. And I wouldn't say special anymore. I'm more like a regular stop-in. Well, I heard a rumor that you're changing your first name. To what? To Steve. <laughs> no, Steve's my middle name. Ah, okay. Ah. Well, okay, that works. There we go. Um, but uh, <laughs> anyway, that's a song. Well, how are you doing? Oh, not too bad. How are things down on the other side of the planet? Uh, upside down, apparently. Or non-existent, depending on who you're talking to. So, oh, it's great. It's sunny. It's really friggin' hot. It was 35 degrees yesterday, and yeah, I'm melting. But luckily, I'm in a room with a nice big fan above me, uh, but I'm really good. That's good to hear. Yeah, it was about 35 degrees here the other day, too, and it was really cold. But we use the uh, Freedom units, and you use everybody else's units. So, <laughs> Hell, <laughs> that's an entire other debate, really. <laughs> oh, well. So, all right, before we get into whatever it is that we're going to end up talking about today, and we have an idea, but heaven knows if that'll actually be what we end up talking about, who do we want to shout out as our podcast of the week this week, Steve? I was thinking Staggering Dragon. Ooh, yes. They're they're a lot of fun to listen to. (laughs) They are. They are basically the actual play wing of the Guardians of the Wills podcast, which is kind of a pop culture nerddom discussion podcast. And so they carry that over into their actual plays, and they've aired two, and it's been a while since they've actually put any out. But I would highly recommend going back to listen to them, because they did, um, the first one they did was G.I. Joe. Yeah, and their G.I. Joe actual play is brilliant. It is. It is absolutely, it's hysterical. It is, well, as as their disclaimer at the start of it, it is for adult audiences. Um, <laughs> but it's really, really entertaining. And then they did a Star Wars one. It was also really good. I still think the G.I. Joe one was better, though. Oh, well, yeah. And uh, there, there's an Easter egg in that one that if you listen to all of the episodes, you'll find out what it is, and it makes it even funnier. Well, I'll just put it that way. But, yeah, we're actually looking to, at some point, get someone from that show on the podcast to talk with us about something. But uh, we'll leave that for when it happens. <laughs> good guys. So, yeah. to, they're good guys to have on the network, that's for sure. Yeah, check them out. That's the Staggering Dragon. All right. So, since we've conned Huli into coming on to talk with us again from halfway around the world, <laughs> what are we going to talk about tonight, Steve? I was thinking we would talk about games based on intellectual property. <laughs> That's a pretty big pond. Yeah. So, I mean, where do you start that discussion? Because technically, at this point, a lot of these games are intellectual property in their own right, but I think what we mean by that is games that are based on film or book franchises largely. I think you start at the beginning, but I don't know what the beginning is. Uh, 
What was the first RPG based off of an IP? I'm going to ask that same question. And I think, and I could be very wrong, um, but was it James Bond? It might be James Bond. What about when did the Indiana Jones come out? From uh, it came out after Star Wars. Oh, really? But Ghostbusters was before that. Yes, Ghostbusters might be. Because Ghostbusters was... Jeez, when did that come out? Yeah, we're talking um, the Star Wars D6 system, not the right one. Right, well, yes, because Ghostbusters is the game that that system was originally designed for. Mm. Because Ghostbusters was the original D6 Dice Bowl game. Yeah. Yep. Interestingly enough, also designed by uh, Sandy Peterson. Mm-hmm who obviously is much more well-known for Call of Cthulhu, <laughs> which I guess you could say is an intellectual property game because it's based largely off the works of H.P. Lovecraft. I'll actually go back farther. I think, what is this? 75, 76, 77, there's a Flash Gordon game. Oh, This could be wrong. I'm going based off of the list on Wikipedia, but the first one that I can find that, I recognize as an intellectual property that it could be is is 1977 Flash Gordon Flash Gordon and the Warriors of Mongo, and then the next one that I found was John Carter and the Warlord of Mars role playing game. Okay, so both based off of pulp novels, but both mm. and then like I said, 78 is John Carter and Star Trek comes out that same year. Oh, back with Gatha, of course. Then you had the Conan uh, version for the original Dungeons and Dragons as well. God, we probably just should have done some research before this episode. (laughs) (laughs) What you mean? The three minutes of conversation we had right before we hit the button don't count? (laughs) No. (laughs) No, But no, I mean, I think it's interesting. So much of even, you know, and, and there's the whole debate, well, you know, was Dungeons and Dragons based on the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. Well, yes, no, maybe, you know, the thing is, is that in, at that point in time, Tolkien's works weren't that old. Mm. So maybe not, but I, I, I find it hard to believe that there wasn't some cross pollination there. Let's put it that way. Mm. Or pollination, at least. I don't know. What you're saying is that an RPG is an IP or has stolen an IP itself. Well, I mean, Look, a role-playing game is is at its base. You're making up stories, right? Right. So your stories are inspired by something, which was likely a story in its own right. I wonder if the people in, um, say, Roman times, I wonder if they invented uh, role-playing. I wonder if they had people sitting around like making up stories. But anyway, <clears throat> yeah, we're going down a very, very deep rabbit hole, that conversation. <laughs> well, I've at times described, you know, describe role-playing games as cops and robbers for adults. Yeah, well, it is. Agreed. 100% agree. I mean, there's a, obviously a really rich history of games based on IPs. Hmm. You know, I mean, we've just gone through half a dozen of them. And if you look at, you know, what's on the market currently, I mean, I think the, you know, the biggest name is obviously Star Wars. Well, and, and then you have full-on publishers like Renegade who, boy, I, I, I haven't seen... Do they have a, a non-IP-based game? Kids on Bikes. Oh, that's it. Yep, Kids on Bikes. Well, thinly disguised. Just the like the serial numbers um, rubbed off? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's fair, too. 
It's like Stranger Things, but um, oh, Strange Things, but okay, moving along. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, and you know, Tales from the Loop is the same sort of scenario as well, right? You know, with Stand by Me and and uh, like that movie, and then with um, Strange Things, and then, well, arguably, arguably, Tales from the Loop is based directly off an IP. Yeah, the uh, artwork of what's his name, Simon Stalig, or something like that. Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Tales from the Loop is based off of that, which the art book came out before the RPG, and then the TV series is based off the art book for some unknown mm. reason. Um, <laughs> so, yes. In other words, we can't work out what the first <laughs> first IP for an RPG is. Right. Great discussion. <laughs> well, I mean, do you take most classic fantasy back to Arthurian legend? Well. Depends on what monster manual you're talking about. <laughs> but yeah, look, there's all sorts of things. I mean, everything, I think, when it comes to RPGs comes from somewhere. Whether it be, you know, the IP of someone's mind or it comes from some sort of tale of myth. You know, there's plenty of stuff in Pathfinder which has been generated from real-world mysteries. So, you know, there's, uh, there's all sorts of places that, that IP can come from. But I guess the conversation that we really want, just to sort of try to drag it back to some sort of semblance of normality. What's that? <laughs> normality. <laughs> Good point. But yeah, to, to sort of like bring that in. What is involved in IP, uh, RPG production? What sort of, you know, what companies have created that? We've already talked about some of them. Well, I think there's... I think it's harder to find a company that hasn't created a game based off an IP than it is to find a company that has. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah. like, going back to TSR, they had a ton of games based off of IPs. Mm. And then going forward, it's like everybody has done a game based off an IP. Well, there's so many of them now. I mean, you know, Free League has the One Ring, Tales from the Loop. What the? They just announced, oh, they're doing Blade Runner. They did Alien. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. Modiphius has Conan, Star Trek, and a couple more, just a Fallout. Yep. You know, so I mean, yeah, it's it's a never-ending list, and some of these companies have got their own version of an IP that's been done by another company before it. Oh yeah, some of them. Well, Star Wars is probably the best example. It's been through five different iterations. Two or three of them came from the one company. Then you had um, West End Games, and it had three versions or something like that. Uh, and then you've got, oh, I've completely forgot. Uh, then well, you've what, got was... Flight Games and, and Edge. You know, that's two companies <laughs> being shipped around a bit. Yeah, well, you had what? You had first and second edition from West End. Yep. Then you had two versions with Watsy. Mm-hmm. And then technically the game is the same between Fantasy Flight and Edge. But it's different publishers, yeah, sort of. Well, we don't know what um, what Edge is going to do with Star Wars yet because they've announced that they're going to be doing it, but uh, they've been very, very closed doors basically about what's gone on. Kept their cards very, very close to their chest there. But um, Western Games actually had three different versions of Star Wars. They had the original one that came out um, in '88 mm-hmm. uh, or '87. I can't remember which one. 
and then it had the revised, and then it had the revised revised. I can't remember what they called it, but there was a bigger version again that they did. So, you know, there was three versions of that, and each one was slightly different than the next. Uh, the last two were very, very similar. But, uh, you know, if that proves anything, it, you don't need a system for a particular IP. Uh, it can, all systems can be adjusted to work with a certain IP. You know, there's certain people in the industry that will say, oh, no, that this particular system works best for whatever IP. And it's not the case. You can basically just change things and add things if the system is adaptable enough to do that. Yeah, I think that's true on some level, that you can play anything with any systems, but I think some systems do, different systems emulate different things better, and so depending on what focus of a given IP you want to play, that could affect which one works the best. I guess, this, is that a diplomatic way to say it? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, look, I, I can only really look at it through the lens of Star Wars because that's the one that I've probably had the most to deal with, mm -hmm. you know, and probably even Star Trek as well. And that's been through three very, very different, actually four very different iterations for the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, oh, I don't know which one's the best. I think that it boils down to what, I feel as good as a system generally, not about the IP. And it's just so happens that it works with this particular IP. A lot of people did not like D20 Star Wars. They didn't like Saga. And I think that it's just people just have this expectation. It's just like any sort of fandom. And this is something we probably need to talk about as well. Because when you're talking about any sort of fandom, there is going to be people who are very upset because certain directions were taken because it doesn't feel like whatever. And uh, again, I'm only going to look at it through Star Wars, but Star Wars, when it came to Force Powers, for example, seemed very over the top for Saga. But aren't Force Powers supposed to be over the top anyway? You know? So there was that. And then a lot of people say, well, you know, the uh, FFG version makes everyone sort of an, on an evil and even playing field when it comes to uh, force powers and, and normal powers. Well, I, I disagree with that as well. I think that force powers are very low, very seductive at the start, but you start having characters with 500 XP or more and they can start to break the game very, very quickly. It's kind of almost like magic users that are a bit meh at start in D&D and then by the time that they get up 5, 10th level, they're completely overpowering fighters and some of the the so yeah. well and i'll say this isn't it interesting how time can change your perception of something because you saying about saga edition not being well received everything i've heard of anybody i've ever talked to that was like star wars saga edition is great and i think that's interesting well there are still people that i know that swear by saga edition uh they say that that it is the best representation of star wars that has ever been done I disagree, but then again, I'm completely biased because, well, I part-time work for the company that is producing uh, the, uh, the Narrative Dice System games. But also, I fell in love with it because it suits my gaming style. Yeah. Where D20 doesn't. For me, D20 takes a lot more time and effort to be able to run a game where I can run a game 
with Edge of the Empire or Genesis, basically, you know, at the drop of a hat and have done so, where people are going, oh, do you want to run a game? Sure, let's go. And just <laughs> off the top of my head. Because there's not a lot of prep time where there is a lot of prep time with, uh, with D20 and Saga, especially if you start going up higher levels. And, you know, that may be some people's, you know, piece of cake that they can really get into that system straight away. And they just love the number crunch. I hate the number crunch because I'm oh, a yeah. role player. Um, and that's how I GM. You know, the, the dice are a secondary thing that I have to sort of consciously remember to get people to roll dice. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I overcompensate and get people to roll too many dice. But uh, at the end of the day, if it comes to dice rolling, I don't GM that way. Um, I just much prefer to say, have people tell me what they're doing. And, you know, if it sounds cool, let's make that happen. Well, and from somebody who has, I have not all the time, but sometimes my brain just has difficulty doing mathematics in my head quickly. Mm. I find that narrative dice works fantastically for me because I can basically play rock, paper, scissors and go, this cancels this, that cancels that. Mm. I'd have this remaining. And I don't have to do the math because sometimes I'll sit like when we would play D&D or I would try and do something that has numeric values. I'm sitting there and I'm like, um, give me a second, guys. I'm literally like tapping out what I'm adding together in my head. And I'm like, I, you know, I get this like, oh, man, the table's like, oh, come on. Can we move on? It's like, well, I'm just trying to calculate what my numbers are. Sorry. You know what I mean? Even mm -hmm. though they're not, it's just this sometimes that can be daunting. Absolutely with Genesis and, and um, Star Wars before it, it's a very, very simple process when it comes to running a game versus being a player. I think it's actually harder as, uh, as you go up levels, for want of a better term, that uh, as you increase in power level, I guess, that it's, I think it's harder as a player because you've got access to so many more talents. As a GM character, all that they do is they have a special ability which suits them, and one, maybe two, maybe absolute most three talents, uh, unless you're talking about a major NPC, maybe that's been done from the movies or something like that. But even then, the way that they've been presented in the books is that they have just a small ability, which basically compensates for having all of these different talents. So for me, it's so much simpler rather than back in the Pathfinder days, when I was playing Pathfinder, that it would be a case that I'd have to study for a couple of hours to work mm -hmm. out spell is the best versus the, the PCs. You know, what would the character know? What would they actually have prepared? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it was a marathon effort because you also had feats to take into consideration and what do they add to it? And it was homework. And I hate homework at the best of times, uh, let alone having homework for a game that I enjoy. I would much prefer to invest the energy and time into playing the game. In the game and working out the story and working out which NPC is connected to who and what's their backstory. And, and so that's more for the players to find out and get involved in the intrigue so that it feels a lot more alive as far as the game goes. But uh, we've digressed into a D&D &D bash. That's, that's okay. <laughs> well, I was just going to say one more thing. that I find myself, to avoid the homework, I've found myself just 
learning how to become a better improvisational GM. Mm. And so I can just avoid having to do the homework because I don't even know what's going to happen next. What (laughs) you guys are going to go what direction? Okay, cool. We're going to go that direction. And I'm going to think about it for a half second and we're going to move on from there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're going to stand some time and talk to a NPC. I'm going to think about while you're like, I can be talking and calculating the next steps in my head. Mm -hmm. When talking about running a game, I'm always a big believer is that you don't, and I think I, I've, I've sprouted this off before, I don't believe in setting the location of um, of an event. So I will have scenes in my head without background. I guess for want of a better term, I shoot the scene as I see it on a green screen. Right. And then everything else sort of like falls into place depending on what the players are doing. So I know that event A will happen, event B will happen, event C, D, et cetera, et cetera, will happen. And not necessarily in that order either, but those situations will occur and then it's going to occur based on where the players are and what they've actually done. Some of those scenes may change as I'm adapting it through the story. And systems that allow me to do that with a certain IP make me very, very happy GM because that means I have to worry about the the homework side of things. I can just turn up and run a game. And and I'd even go so far as to say Fate, now that I've played it, now that I've read a little bit more about it, Fate is another great one that doesn't really have any IPs. I mean, it's got plenty of genres out there, but as far as actual IPs... Dresden Files. Dresden Files, yeah. Uh, you win. Uh, <laughs> Steve owns it, so... Yeah, that's that's. I was just looking at it on my shelf as you were saying, and I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) but that's another one that that I think that can work well. And uh, having played in uh, Tom from uh, Shared Sagas, I've now played in one of his adventures using Fate, and it was absolutely amazing. We were playing all of these different characters, and he sent me this list. What do you want to play? And it was things like from Arnold Schwarzenegger as um, Colonel Hutch um, all the way through to one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So uh, it's it's very adaptable in that way to any IP, I think, uh, just because of the nature of the system. So Yeah. Well, we had a conversation a long time ago about fate, and I'd sort of like to maybe talk a little bit more about it from mm-hmm. somebody who's maybe just recently learned it. But that's yeah. if Steve's okay with that. I, hey, whatever. <laughs> We are a a podcast of tangents. We have established this, like, I don't know, a year and a half ago? A year and a half, every time we talk about it, you know. (laughs) I just wanted to make sure that you got any grievances you wanted to get out with, like, the IP conversation (laughs) before we moved on. Let me, I I do have a point to make about the current iteration of the Star Wars game. Sure. And, you know, this tying into, not just because we talked to Jay, who designed the engine a couple weeks ago, but I think to my mind stands alone, at least in the modern crop as the one where the system was designed specifically for the IP, Mm. you know, to where like Jay mentioned, and I thought this was a, just a neat little Easter egg that down to the force die. Right. And where he said, you know, if you look at the force die, it has an equal number of light side and dark side pips on it. Mm -hmm. But, there are more faces with dark side pips 
And he mm-hmm. said that was entirely based around, I believe it was a line from Yoda about, is the dark side stronger? No, but it's easier. Hmm. Quicker. Most of the um, probably the worst version of Yoda I think I've ever done. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, look, that's a really good point. When it comes to an IP, there are going to be certain elements to an IP that have to fit that round hole. Um, and if you've got a system which is basically a square peg, you're going to have to make some sort of alterations to that system to make it work. Need a bigger hammer. Yeah. <laughs> but if you are designing the system from the ground up based on that IP, you start with basically a lathe and a piece of wood. And you can do whatever you need to do to make that fit. And I think that's a great example of uh, how a system has been designed. And I don't think that it was ever, ever designed for generic play. It's just lucky enough that it is designed for for generic play that has allowed it to be adapted to other IPs. And when I say IPs, obviously I'm talking about IPs from Fantasy Flight Games with Keyforge and, you know, the upcoming Twilight Imperium, as well as Terranoth and um, Shadow of the Beanstalk. You know, all of those are internal IPs. Uh, So, uh, you know, there were some modifications that needed to be made, but generally speaking, not a lot changed. Other than force, but a force is a very, very specific thing. Where, as you say, uh, Steve, with the, the the force die, it's been created specifically for that use. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to point out too that that we missed one of the early IP games. It came out in 1980. Mm. Was the Dallas role playing game? Oh, oh, I'd play Dallas in a heartbeat. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I could only imagine that game would be like a a modern, like a soap opera RPG. That would be fantastic. Right. Uh, We can now return to our previously derailed fate conversation. Yeah, let's talk about fate. Tell me about fate as somebody who just recently, like, got their hands on it, got to play it. Right. Oh, you're talking about me. Um, (laughs) No, not me. I haven't touched it yet. Oh, really? (laughs) No, seriously, I, I I have the game, I've read it, I just haven't got a chance to put it on a table anywhere. I was exactly the same. I bought it because a lot of people were talking about it. And I hate not being part of conversations <laughs> just because I don't know what the hell I'm talking about or what they're talking about. Uh, and I needed to educate myself. I then promptly went and left it on the bookshelf and never talked to anybody about fate. Thanks, pandemic, you're awesome. Uh, so... <laughs> And I've bought a couple of source books about it, specifically about supers, because I'm a superhero junkie. And I've only played Fate once, so I've got limited experience. But I found that the system was just so adaptable. And it's, uh, it's got the whole very similar system to what we see in D20, for those who, who've played, uh, sorry, 2D20, uh, where you've got um, that escalation mechanic thrown in that you can re-roll dice with, by spending uh, a fate point. Or if you want to accept some sort of liability in the current scene, you can you can get additional points to use later on. So, uh, you know, it, it's a really good system. And the other thing that I like about it as well 
probably more than than anything else is just how simple it is and how accessible it is because you're using a D6. Right, because everything has a D6. Everything has its 3D6. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's it's great. Um, you know, don't need to think too much about it. It's easy. They use those. They call them fudge dice, but they're easy to use regular dice and just because don't they use the dice with the plus minus symbols on them? Absolutely, plus minus and blank. Yeah, and it's easy. I actually bought myself a pack yesterday uh, <laughs> because I thought I'm going to play this game one day, and it's and I think it's the sort of game that you could. As long as you've got a bit of a story somewhere uh, and you've got some pre-made characters, you could run it any time. You just say, oh, you've got a couple of D6? Yeah, let's, let's play. Yeah. Uh, and I think that it works really, really well. I can't really have deep conversations about the mechanics because it was, it was first time playing it and I'm starting to read the rules. But um, it's, a lot of it is based around concepts of what you perceive a character doing there aren't sort of you know a lot of the the complicated mechanics to gameplay you've actually got to think more about how your character does things which reminded me very very much of uh, of l5r which um you know i was never exposed to the what is it the keep or take or something like that system uh where they were using d10s i was never exposed to that so i don't I can't compare it. I've only got involved with L5R because I was ending up writing for it for FFG. But I love their system. I think that it's fantastic. And some of the elements, especially when designing your character at the start and how that your character design and the, the methodology for creating characters in the first place all fits into their backstory. So you've got a much better idea and you get a much rounded character, much well-rounded character, by doing so. So um, that's why I think I love it. Having said that, I had characters created for me. So I decided to have to go through that process. But I asked enough questions at the start to say, how, how is this done? How did I get this? So, uh, so yeah, it's, pretty, it's, it's a great system. Yeah, well, I think Tom also knows that engine well. He's told me that's actually his favorite system overall. Mm. And that shows because the way that he GM'd, he was able to focus on doing characters because that is something that he loves to do. He loves to get into the the acting side of it, the the method actor, I like to call him, as uh, as Robin Lord sort of as part of his putting people into certain categories of gamers. Tom is definitely the method actor, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also likes his bit of crunch. But if I had to put you know, a label on him, I think that method actor is one. And when you hear him do his Doc Brown, for example, it's just amazing. And when I can pick characters that he's doing just on his mannerisms and his voice alone, he's a good GM. He's a <laughs> really, really good GM. So... He's obviously developed that and can then use that system because he knows it so well um, to get across what he needs to get across without worrying about the system so much. You know, I'm the same with uh, with their narrative dice system. I know it well enough now that I don't open a book anymore, and I much prefer players not to open a book during a session unless it's something that they need to look at for a certain ability. But that's my thoughts on on fate. Well, I think fate too, though, because by its nature of it being 
very non-mechanically specific, because mm-hmm. I've, I've read a little bit of it as well, it lends itself well to quickly picking up an IP because, and, you know, Tom told me that he has actually a series of games that he runs every now and then, similar to the one he ran for you, that he calls his League of Extraordinary Gentlefolk Games. Yes. Which is essentially his take on League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but in various different eras. <laughs> and fate works great for that because, well, you know, you have the touch point of, you know, Major Dutch, you know who you're playing and whoever else the other people were playing. They've, they've seen the media that that, <laughs> that character is. And so they know what to do. And fate just says, you emulate this and you emulate that. Mm. And so it's great for throwing together an IP loosely IP based thing anyway. Now, if you want the crunch, it's probably not going to, that's not going to be where to get it. But mm. if you're just in it for fun and a good time, mm. why not? Yeah. Just briefly talking about IPs, just to bring it back to the topic, uh, that, that an IP, when it comes to like a movie or a TV series or, or something like that, movies more so that, a character can only have certain a small amount of traits unless it's like a long-term franchise or a long-running series. And that includes like, you know, the MCU because some of these characters have been around for, you know, tens of years. They only have a certain shtick that they always do. Uh, when playing Dutch, I knew that, you know, he was very much like the the... He's the badass, I guess, of the story. Um, and, uh, you know, every single time he sees somebody, he has to say, character's name, son of a bitch, uh, and do an arm wrestle. Um, but, I mean, that's taking it to the extreme. But they all have these certain mannerisms so that there's continuity with the story when it's being told on screen. And, yes, over time, some of these characters can develop so that they do change over a long period of time. I think Battlestar Galactica is a really good example of that. Uh, the newest series where it went for five seasons, but every single sort of event that happened really changed them. Another good one, Jessica Jones. You know, there was a lot of uh, what I like to call onion skin in that where you're basically peeling away layers and after layers after layers to get to the main core of, of what the story is. But... They're longer-running series. Yes, it's only eight or ten episodes or whatever it is. But the thing is, is that they all have these, as I said before, they only have these sticks, sticks, and they have these mannerisms, and they have these things that they do that they do in pretty much every situation. So when you've got a situation like, when you've got a system like Fate, you can design them um, so that they fit those categories because you know you've got a reference point. When you're talking about an actual brand new story, not based on an IP, it's just out of someone's head, there would be a little bit more difficulty, I think, because there's no point of reference. But well, some to IP. Well, now here's the thought, though, and this just mm. kind of occurred to me in, in regards to games based on IPs. Right. I think, and, and, and you guys you know, chime in and tell me if you think I'm completely off my rockers here, but I think the ones that tend to do better as, as, as role-playing games are ones where the, the IP has a, has a at least fairly developed world or, mm-hmm. or setting. 
you know, be it Star Wars or Star Trek, whatever, where, you know, you're not, it's not Indiana Jones because Indiana Jones has basically not been very successful as a role-playing game since it's been tried several times. But we were talking about this before we started recording that Indiana Jones is the star of Indiana Jones. <laughs> there's not, you know, there's not a group activity there. It's not really set in, you know, it, it, it doesn't have the setting of a Star Wars or a Lord of the Rings where you have Middle Earth mm. or, well, you know what I mean? It's based in real life type scenarios. It's based on real history. Whether it actually sort of pans out to be real history is, you know, it's based on myth and, and whatever else. So I think that any time that you're dealing with a modern setting, and that can be, you know, anywhere in the, you know, from the 20s onwards, that I don't think you, I mean, what greater backstory is than real world? You know, there, there is no better uh, world that has been created, to our knowledge, obviously, uh, that, um, that you can draw inspiration from. You know, there, there are plenty of other IPs that are out there that have a huge database. Star Wars is one, Star Trek is another. But I don't think the popularity of it has anything to do with the worlds that they populate. What it has to do with is its fan base. So if you've got like Star Wars, it's got a huge fan base. And right. therefore you can draw on that from a marketing perspective and cross pollinate with that community to say, hey, look, you love Star Wars, so why not come over into our IP and try this thing called role-playing? If you've heard of Dungeons and Dragons, well, try this. And you can draw inspiration then from those people who have all played with Star Wars figures when they were kids, who've, you know, sat down and dreamt, what would happen if this occurred? The same sort of thing with Marvel, the same sort of thing with Star Trek. All of those have big fan bases. Yeah, I think the fan base argument is, is definitely an element to it. But I, I was thinking more in like, I don't know, I, there's a point in my head. It just won't come out my mouth. I think maybe me and you are on the same track. So the question I have, because I've never played a, I've never played a RPG based on IP based on a singular character, whether it be Indiana Jones, James Bond, Conan the Barbarian. I, mm -hmm. I like granted the books are what they are, but the the TV or the movies and, and series and such based off of Conan are very much about him. And mm -hmm. so how do you play an RPG? That's what sort of hurts my brain is how do you play an RPG with multiple people? Because the thing of it is, is that in my mind, you have at least two other players at the table with you. Now you're playing an RPG where, you know, how do you play an RPG where somebody plays Conan and not, you know, not upset the whole table? <laughs> well, Conan doesn't just adventure alone. James right. Bond doesn't always just adventure alone. You know, even Star Wars, you can tell the same story from a Luke perspective where it's only just Luke and Obi-Wan and the droids. You could also tell the same sort of story from uh, Han and Chewie. That's only two characters. So there are plenty of other IPs which are out there which, you know, deal with a set number of people. Stargate's not a good example, but they've all gone on adventures with, you know, just two characters and a team of nobodies. But we've learned about the team of nobodies. 
Uh, Star Trek has this issue all the time, even if it, in its current iteration. Because if you look at every single Star Trek episode, not all episodes deal with, you know, the whole crew. They try to involve the whole crew in from time to time. But generally speaking, it's, it's basically either a Picard episode or a, or a Kirk episode or a Spock episode. So there are going to be central times when those characters are the central focus. And it doesn't make any sense for those other characters to be involved. That's why troop play... I think comes into its own there where you've got players with multiple characters that they can play. And this particular adventure is going to be based on character A. And then two or three of the other players are going to be bringing in their um, next NPCs that they have or the, the uh, another level of PCs because they suit the modular nature of some of these missions. So, you know, I've played in James Bond, but I play it with the GM and me, and that's it. So that's one way that you can play James Bond. That's fair. You can also play in, you know, James Bond or a couple of agents working together. You know, X-Files is another good example. Um, not that there's been an X-Files role-playing game, but there, or maybe there has been, I don't know. Uh, but there's been certainly Conspiracy X, which is another one from Eden Studios. Uh, you've only got really two characters there. And it, to me, it always did my head in how you could have some sort of storyline based around two characters and then what does everybody else do? But there's always a sidekick for the episode or there's always somebody else in the background. And what are they doing? Well, that's where you have, you know, the GM has to be very, very good at managing their table to work out we're going to move the scene now from here. And a game that does that really, really well is Fiasco, where its central story moves on to this player. And who do you want to bring into the scene? Well, I'd like a scene with this person, and I'd like a scene with this person, you know, and tell the story that way. It's a heap of options. That's true. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it in, in that regard, and you know, because in my head, when I think role-playing game, I automatically think, you know, say four to eight people sitting around a table and good lord eight people <laughs> I, I, I ran riffs with like eight pcs in college Shit. Oh, my yeah my college D second edition second edition game was somewhere between six and ten people depending oh. on who showed up that week i just can't manage that many people in to grab their attention enough i like to have everybody involved in the story that's one of the reasons why I love the initiative system in Star Wars and Genesis is that everybody has to stick around because they want to know when the best part for them to jump into the scene is, as opposed to D&D where, you know, you might go and have a coffee for 20 minutes and then somebody yells out, it's your turn. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, I know that that's D&D banking, but there's a lot of systems that do that because of, you know, spells and abilities it's, and it gets worse the higher level you go. Uh, but there are, other, uh, there are other systems which are out there that do it exactly the same. So because I like the, the fast play, I much prefer to have smaller groups. If I've got five, that's the absolute max I will go. I hate going to six. It fills <laughs> my table too many, with too many people. And because I'm also a very much a storyline-driven GM, I'd like to weave stories through the players 
as best as I possibly can. That means then that I've got a that's an extra body I've got to um, do that with. Um, yeah, but I've only got four players, which is my perfect number. Um, I can do that. Are there shortfalls? Yes. Is that a challenge for them? Yes. Does that make the game more interesting? Hell yes. Yeah. So, yeah. I agree. I <laughs> I learned my lesson. There's no way now I could run that game, and I'm shocked that I still have friends that are like, "Oh man, you're a great GM." I'm like, "Why do you say that?" Because I could. I <laughs> there's no way I would have walked away from that game going, "Oh yeah, I want to play with that guy some more." Like. <laughs> too many people at the table and I didn't get my turn until next week. <laughs> what did I say? Is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. So, so if they had fun, who cares at the end of the day, we're all, we're all of as GMs. I think we are our own worst critic because that's why we're always looking for new ways to do things, better ways to do things. It's one of the reasons why podcasts do really, really well because we can, you know, somebody else who's GM, not necessarily better than what a listener is, because I'm 100% sure that there are people who are out there that are way better than me in GMing, that, uh, you know, it, it is just a different way of looking at something. And that, I think, works really, really well. So, yeah, I think that if people are coming to you 20 years later and saying, hey, that when we used to play this, this was amazing, and they remember an anecdote about their game... You've done your job. You've done well. There's nothing to sort of, you know, complain about, I guess. It, it is something to revel in that you've made someone a memory that's been long-lasting and it's been a positive for them because you don't know how many other people you've brought into the hobby because of that. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. That's I'm not going to argue with you. I agree. And And like I said, I just... Now, now looking back, I'm like, why did I, why did I agree to run a game for <laughs> what, what it was more of the, like, I don't know. Younger me was like the more, the merrier when it came to, oh, I want to play D and D. All right, sweet. We have a game that happens every Tuesday. Come on over to, you know, buddy's house. Like, I'm sure it sounded like a good idea at the time. Yeah. It, it seemed like a good idea at the time. And then as time went on and as I've gotten farther away from that game, I'm like, man, I, I'm amazed that those players are still like, oh, yeah, I miss back when we used to. I'm like, really? You, you, I, I, yeah, I had a good time. <laughs> it was chaos, but. <laughs> well, that was, yeah, that was the exact same scenario I was in with Riffs was at the time. I just didn't know any better. And yeah, I don't know, Huli, if you've had any experience with the Palladium engine, but let's just say running Riffs combat with eight PCs is <laughs> insane. <laughs> well, the only experience that I've had as a player in, uh, not in Rifts or, or anything Palladium, and look, I've played a little bit of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, I played a little bit of Robotech. Same engine. Yeah, same engine, exactly. I only played a little bit of it, but uh, hey, I've played in, I only know what it is, Table Master. I don't even know what's it called. Rollmaster, that's it. I only know by its nickname. Uh, that uh, Chartmaster is its US nickname. To me, it's just an overcomplicated system that just removes it from the imagination. But hey, there are people out there who absolutely swear by that system. Hey, if, if that's where you get your jollies, good for you. Exactly. But, you know, being told that this is what happens, I don't get as much enjoyment because I can't describe that scene. Now, whether that's the writer coming out on me, I don't know. But to me, it makes far more sense to have 
less explained to the players of what they can and can't do and just leave it up to, I want to do this. Uh, maybe point the story point, flip a story point. Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> That's the way I See, look at it. Okay. Well, I'll say, I'll tangent off of that. That's why I've been enjoying, I'm running in a, uh, old school D and D game on Monday nights with some friends of mine. And mm. that's why I've been enjoying it because it really like advanced dungeons and dragons didn't really have it laid out for you. What, or what you could or could not do. Mm. You wanted to do a thing. You made a check to see if you could do the thing. Mm. And then you did the thing as described. It wasn't described for you. And I mm. love that. Yes. Yep. It's all about player agency. I think um, that's a big thing for any sort of system. Yeah, move that agency across to the players and they will appreciate it and it means buy-in is so much better. And I know you guys have talked about buy-in numerous times within the show that enabling the players to do what they want to do is the thing that gives them that positive vibe. Look at it from a psychological perspective. It gives them that buzz. It makes it solid in their mind so you'll have more scenarios like what you just talked about, Steve, where people will come up to you later on and say, I remember, and that's what you want because it becomes a positive experience for everyone and uh, it means then that, you know, people can be more people, more of their friends because it's almost like, um, oh, I guess role-playing games are like a pyramid scheme. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it absolutely is. <laughs> <laughs> I have friends running games now that I never would have thought when we played together, I never would have thought they would be running games like, mm. yeah. And it's amazing where some of this stuff comes from. And it, it's as opposed to like, I don't know, I'm probably just going to go down the marketing stream a little bit here, but when it comes to buying a product, not a role playing game product, I'm talking about like, you know, whether it be a hair care product, I say is on bald or something that is going to, you know, be more mass market, more accessible to the public. The more you get people to talk about it and try it and buy it, the more people get involved with it or the, or the more people go out and buy it. The same thing applies to, uh, to D&D, providing it's a positive experience. And that's why I'm a big believer in this, is you want to try to make it a positive experience for everyone. Because what that means is that then their positive experience, they want to, it's like drugs, they want to have that, um, I do not support drugs in any way, shape or form, except if it's role playing. Um, but, uh, people get that. Give them a taste of, of the good stuff and then. <laughs> first time's free. So, you know, you get them to try it and they have a positive experience about it. Going, that was great. And then you may have a player that um, sticks with you for the rest of eternity. But you may have people who go, that was amazing. I was really looking forward to buying that with a product, uh, buying that product, whether it be D&D, whether it be Star Wars, whatever, and they go out and buy it. And then they run it for their friends. And their friends have a positive experience. And then it sort of just snowballs, I guess, from there. And I don't know why I've gone down this tangent, but I think that that's an important thing to, to remember is to have that positive experience. Yeah. Uh, and uh, actually, I am going to bring that round. When it comes to bringing new players in, and this is something that IPs have over everything else, and it kind of links into what one of you guys were saying before about, you know, the, the worlds that are out there. If you've got something like Star Wars, for example, okay, you bring somebody in as opposed to, I'll use D&D, &D, but 
it's not always true because D&D is now becoming a lot more mainstream than what it was before. But the actual worlds of, say, Greyhawk or Forgotten Realms or whatever else aren't necessarily known globally. I'm talking about mainstream people. So when you've got Star Wars, most people have watched an episode of Mandalorian or they've watched a cartoon series, whether it be Clone Wars or something else. They have a point of reference. And that means introducing them to the game becomes easier because they don't have to learn the world as well as learning the system. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The world's already established. You don't have to try and establish that for them. You're just elaborating on what's happening in their adventure. Yeah. And that's the reason why IPs, I think, become very, very popular in the RPG community because it's a great way to initiate someone in. Because they know what a droid looks like. They know what the Millennium Falcon looks like. They know what Moss Eisley looks like. You know, and why all stories start in Tatooine is beyond me. But as long as they've seen the Empire Strikes Back, they can start on Cloud City or something. Um, <laughs> have that point of reference. And I think that makes a big difference. Not necessarily for Joe Average Gamer, who's played at least two systems. By bringing in somebody else who is familiar with that setting. And I guess D&D is more fantasy. So you can describe it as, you've seen Game of Thrones, right? Things like that allow people to get that buy-in, get that understanding of the world. Yeah, well, I think RPGs are just a, it's a weird mix to just hit the things that work. Like, it, there's not like a formula per se. Mm. You just have to catch things the right way. And I, I'm sure there is a method to it that you can say, well, this will work better than this. But, you know, to get that, for lack of a better word, that lightning in a bottle mm. is mm. is more gut than science. Mm. Look, I, I think the litmus test is, is always going to be, can I do what they've done in the movie? Or can I do what they've done on the TV show? You know, I look at um, Hawkeye and... Because I'm in the, mo in the midst of trying to work out how best to do things in a, uh, a Genesis superheroes. And I know that there's a couple of versions out there, but I'm trying to do things a little bit, little bit differently. How can I represent what they're doing in a game? And they're more street level mm -hmm. as opposed to Falcon and Winter Soldier, which is more to do with sort of global events. And then you've got Wanda Maximoff with, um, with WandaVision. And that was more about sort of realities. And that he had Loki, which was more to do, a lot more to do with realities and, and time shifts and, and whatever else. That that sort of, and now I've lost track of what I was saying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Emulating the street level stuff within Hawkeye, I think is where you started. Exactly. And you've got all these different levels. How do you emulate that? But at the same time, I've got the situation that I need my system to be able to do these things. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, that's a unique challenge to supers games. Mm. And I think that is, that is a, a big hurdle for a supers game to overcome. I agree. The biggest. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is like, you know, how do you play Hawkeye next to Iron Man? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, like I think supers games and I've only played one once. So what do I know? But <laughs> <laughs> like, I think in a supers game for it to work for anything more than like a one shot, 
you probably need to say, okay, we're playing with a, a this many point build, for lack of a better way to describe it, be it XP points for Genesis or you know, whatever the points are that, that um, Mutants and Masterminds uses or whatever, mm. you know, so that we're playing at this level of character for mm. this game as opposed to, I want to be Hawkeye, I want to be Iron Man, I want to be Hulk, you know. No, I agree. And Mutants Masterminds does that to an extent by having power levels. But the interesting thing is, is that that's just your starting point. As they progress, as the characters progress in, in abilities, that power level then shifts up right. gradually. So that, yeah, sure, you might have your street level thugs at the start, but then all of a sudden in 10, 20 sessions, you're up to power level 10. So yeah. you bring in those sort of additional superheroes. Uh, but if you start at power level 10 and you've you know got the equivalent of Iron Man or whatever else, that's still going to progress. How you have it so that you've got a power level 5 and a power level 10 at the same time, that hasn't been really covered by Mutants Masterminds. Yeah. That, that's where I think that any sort of superheroes game has that problem. I think it's just inherent to the genre, in all honesty. Yeah, I agree. There is a certain level of you know, uh, suspension of disbelief when it comes into... And uh, Marvel MCU does it all the time. They almost poke fun of each other when, you know, the number of lines that we hear from Hawkeye. That's what I was just going to say. It just reminds me of the line in Age of Ultron. He's talking to Wanda and he's just like, look, the city's flying, there are robots attacking, and I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. Exactly. Well, yeah, that's a perfect example of why Clint yeah. is great. Um, yes, I love Hawkeye. I, I love what uh, Jeremy Renner has done with that character. I love what they've done with the writing. You know, that's he is sort of the the superhero that has put himself out there, and I'm so glad that they've they've made spoilers for those who uh, haven't watched it yet. But uh, I'm so glad that they've brought in real-world circumstances that have affected him, not just with you know, the, the family, but about his hearing loss and, and stuff like that. So, I think it's interesting that they took, and I'm excited. I haven't watched it yet. I'm excited to see the Hawkeye show because everything I've heard is it's basically Matt Fraction's run on Hawkeye translated into a TV show, and that makes me excited. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Yeah. It's a slow tell, and a lot of people go, oh, it wasn't very exciting in the first episode. No, because it's... It doesn't need to be. No. I mean, these are our shows. This is, this is like sitting down for an eight-hour movie. <laughs> in my opinion, I, I, I don't want it to be very exciting. The best parts of... Uh, I'm going to go off on a tangent. I really don't care. The best parts of Matt Fraction's run on Hawkeye were the bits where he was not doing the action thing. Yeah, <laughs> it was the bits where he was interacting with the public, and there's the one homeless guy that just keeps calling him Hawk Guy. Oh, it's Hawk Guy. No, it's Hawkeye. Hawk Guy. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> well, no, I've I've watched three or four episodes of it, and it it feels to me a lot like the um like the Daredevil and Punisher series on Netflix. I've said this. I've said this. It's a little, it's obviously a little bit more PG because it's, it's on Disney plus. 
I loved all of the Netflix series. I don't care what you say about Iron Fist. I thought he was really good too. I just lapped those series up as they were coming out. But then again, I also love all of the Star Wars films, no matter what it is. So fight me. Um, But anyway, so I think that when it comes to uh, the way that they've presented the Hawkeye series, uh, 100% agree with you. And I've sort of, in the back of my mind, as far as I'm concerned, uh, all of the Netflix series is still canon. Don't care. (laughs) Don't care. (laughs) Apple. Supposedly, supposedly Daredevil is still canon. Mm. And if Daredevil's canon, then that means that Jessica Jones is probably still canon. And Luke Cage is probably still canon. Look, you have to like Star Wars and it's, it's canon until it's not. Right. From everything I've heard that they're, they're not, everything I've heard is that the actor that played Daredevil is the actor that plays Daredevil and that's all there is to it. Yeah. And the actor who plays Kingpin is going to be, you know, I was talking to Keith Keppel about this the other day and that there are certain actors that you've now painted the character with their brush. So, you know, there are certain pl- certain actors that, oh, I must call them players then, uh, they're all, there are certain actors that now epitomize that particular character. And if they were to go with anybody else, I, I don't know why they would. But look, ultimately, everything's on the, on the, the dinner table when it comes to the MCU and, and all of its iterations, thanks to Miss Loki, but uh, mm-hmm. that's a Oh, you know, there's there's one way of bringing in everything now that you own all of the all of the IPs again. That's, I mean, that's this week. Spider Man is this week, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there was some some radio station was giving giving away tickets to it for last night. So yeah. out in the wild, yeah. So I I'm now I have to avoid spoilers for the next week. God, I hate. That. I've already got my already got the filters in place and <laughs> temporarily deactivated my Twitter account. And not. <laughs> but that's a, that was a fun tangent. Speaking of fun tangents, we've been at this for a little while and as much as we could keep going, I think maybe it's time we get into game of the week. Woo. Game of the week. Yay, game of the week. All right, who's going first? Well, mine's kind of depressing. Not as depressing as the last time I picked a depressing game, but it's a different kind of depressing. So I can go first and we can get that out of the way. That can work. All right. I have a game and I don't know that it's supposed to be depressing, Mm -hmm. but I look at it and immediately my brain goes, yep, this is going to be depressing. I have a game called Bunnies and Burrows 3rd Edition. This is the most recent edition of Bunnies and Burrows, which is a fantasy role-playing game where you play rabbits. It draws inspiration from Redwall and Watership Down, um, and that's why it's depressing, because Watership Down is one of the most depressing novels ever written. Next to Animal Farm. (laughs) Yeah. The funny thing is, and I had this conversation a long time ago, Way back in the day when Netflix used to send out DVDs, they had listed a couple movies. They'd listed um, Animal Farm, Watership Down, Plague Dogs, and a couple other things in kids' films. Wow. Yeah. Did they include the Razor Blades as well? Yeah, exactly. Um, Sorry, that was very... 
Well, it's kind of true, though, because those are incredibly depressing films. Um, And so I was just for kicks and giggles. I went to drive through RPG and I clicked family gaming and bunnies and burrows pops up in family gaming. Wow. And I was like, uh, uh, it may be very whole. You can probably tell a really wholesome rabbit RPG game based on this. But the art is evocative of Watership Down. You know, they're naming it as a full-on inspiration for them. And I'm like, is this a Netflix mistake again? Like, come on, guys. I thought you were better than this. <laughs> hey, can I share with you something about um, uh, Bunnies and Burrows? Yeah, go for I it. I have a first edition copy. Nice. I don't know where I got it from because I don't recall buying it. <laughs> but I, so if it belongs to anybody in your listing, please come and collect it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want it anymore, please. But it is just, yeah, it, it was because the whole thing is done in the old typeset. So yep. clearly somebody's had to go and type it all out, you know, literally on a typewriter and then it's been sent off to the printer. But um, yeah, it's an interesting game. It'd be interesting to look at the difference between, you know, first edition and third edition. Uh, because there is so much time between the two editions, just to see what the um, the difference is there. So I might pick that up. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I um, I caught it and I was like, I don't know why you would put this in in family. <laughs> like, I understand that maybe you could probably you can probably tell a very wholesome story with it. But in my mind, when I saw the artwork and I saw what it was evo- evoking, I was like, Oh no, 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 no breaks <laughs> that's mine <laughs> wow all right i'm gonna go in and um pick mine now it's something i've, I've found that is available on drive through rpg however this is a game that i played quite a number of times um thoroughly enjoyed it went crazy on this particular series and it is an ip aha right out there and the writers of this particular IP were heavily involved in the RPG side of things as well. And that is the old ElfQuest. I don't know if you remember ElfQuest at all. It was a, uh, a cartoon type thing. I don't even know where it appeared, but it was in several graphic novel sort of um, representations in full color and black and white versions were done as well. Uh, but they also did an ElfQuest game and they did a couple of iterations like expansions uh, on that, involving a number of elves uh, called the Wolf Riders. Okay, yeah, I do know Elf Quest. Yes, and it was the first time that um, you know I'd ever seen as a, as a young man pornography involved, <laughs> water on pornography involved in a cartoon series. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but it was an interesting. It was an interesting game. It was a lot of fun, and I don't know what engine it actually used whether it was its own or something, it was that long ago. But um, all that I remember is that I had a lot of fun playing. So, um, yeah, go on. There is a couple of reviews, Wikipedia. Oh, it's uh, BRP. Mm-hmm. Who? It's owned by Chaosium. Yeah, it's basically, it's basic role-playing system. Wow. Yeah. There you go. So there you go. Yeah, Steve my... Perrin, Sandy Peterson, and Yurik Chodak. Right. I don't know who you're actually Neither do I, but I recognize the other two names. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was a really good system. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it and, and loved 
creating characters for it and playing in the in the uh, in that world. Um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, sounds sounds interesting at least. Mm. All right. People like ElfQuest. I don't know why, but um, I have fun memories of it. Well, hey, not just what, the pornography. <laughs> uh, but no, that's just what we were talking about a little bit ago. With you know, as far as you know, those games that you just remember being chaos, but people come up to you and tell you, "Oh, I had so much fun." Yes, exactly. And uh, Doug Meager, if you're out there listening, I'm not sure whether you are. Oh, I've I've lost track of Doug. I don't know where he is, but he was my GM, and he did a great job. So there you go. All right. So so is that yours? That's it. All right. That's what I'm with. Lucky Andy. <laughs> Well, I had one picked out when we started, but I've decided to change my mind. Oh. And he's going to recommend Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I decided to go with an IP game, and I, I'm glad you went before I did because I was slightly worried that you might pick this one because I know it's in your collection, Ian. Oh, okay. <laughs> and um, I've actually managed to find scanned PDFs of this because it is no longer available short of finding it used. That is from 1997, the Men in Black role-playing game. I have that collection. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Which, I mean, look, what else do you need to say? It is Men in Black as a role-playing game. It's built in the West End D6 engine. I actually had a friend that had a copy of this would have been the summer of 98 that I saw it. Wow. Or no, that would have been the summer of 97. So he must've bought it when it was brand new. Yeah. Yep. I think I, I just bought it because it was D6. I go, what can I use to mine from this? <laughs> yeah. It, which I mean, look, those are, you know, over the top, whatever games, but mm. that would be fun to play, you know, a short game in, I'm sure one shots, Yep. You know, just because, yeah, just go for Gonzo and, and see what happens. <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know that it would be, I guess you could play a long running game in it, but even the movies are, are you know, bits and, and, you know, running jokes and whatnot. It's not. Well, the thing I like about that is it's based off the first movie. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's the good one. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> Men in Black 2 is okay, but it's the good one. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, unfortunately, you know, other than finding it secondhand, it's it's not actually available. Yep. But, and I mean, the cover, I mean, it has Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones on the cover. So, mm. <laughs> yep. 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 just as a side note, I've got to mention this because I don't know whether you guys have mentioned it in the past, but there are quite a number of, of sites out there that do have a lot of these older edition of games where it's been sent in uh, due to, you know, a deceased estate or it's just been people were clearing their collection for space. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, uh, there is Noble Knight Games, which I've used a number of times. And the cool thing about that is that they do list everything that they don't have. So you can go, I want this. Yeah, and it'll notify you when it's in stock yeah yeah i actually uh put a game on on my list there this week right i like noble knight games i like noble knight games just for the history of it sometimes yeah, yeah. It's like just trying to prove that a game exists because i've seen it I'm like i know i've seen this what is it and i'll go to noble knight and i'll be like there it is <laughs> <laughs> 
The one game that I wish that I still had, and I have no idea where it went. I don't know whether I lent it to someone or whether I actually sold it. I can't remember. But I know that I've still got the dice from it. So if the person who bought it from me is listening, I've got the dice. Um, or somehow I've managed to buy a second set of dice and had them in a bag somewhere. I don't know. But was the old Xena and Hercules role-playing game. Another D6 variant, but it was slightly different than D6 because it had their own special dice. See, I think you traded it to Tom for bunnies and burrows. <laughs> Possibly. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, that's, a, that's another interesting system. But um, yeah, again, it's like when people start talking about Modifius with all of its different IPs uh, and saying that they're the IP king. They're the IP king now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. West End had so many. <laughs> I lost count of how many IPs that they had their hands in. But, um... Yeah. I mean, well, Star Wars, Ghostbusters, yeah. you know, also, Men in also, Black. Maybe one of the reasons why they don't exist anymore. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, well, where can people find you, Huli? Uh, they can find me in a lot of places. Google me. No, they can find me at uh, forgegenesis.com. They can uh, find me on Twitter at GM Hooley. They can also find The Forge at Forge Genesis on Twitter, YouTube, uh, about everywhere else that I slant myself out to. Um, (laughs) So, yes, they can easily find me. And I'm on Discord as GM Hooley. So um, look me up. Stalk me. I've been dying for a good stalking. <laughs> Just don't do it in person. I, I happen to have informants to tell me you have contacts in law enforcement. So I do. <laughs> <laughs> Which means you can probably stalk me at work as well. Anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> and always links to everything we've talked about are in the show notes. Um, good Lord. That's going to be a long list. Yeah. Well, you know, well, not, not every game we've talked about, but we might, I might link the, uh, the wiki article on the list of tabletop games. Yeah, that's a good wiki article. I like that wiki article. It's not comprehensive. So, you know, Wikipedia edited by... I used to be told... Tangent. I used to be told when I was in school, oh, Wikipedia is not a reliable source. It's 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 edited by normal people. And I'm like, yeah, but who edits the dictionary? Robots. <laughs> yeah, like, what? who edits the... Like, you're going to tell me that's not a reliable source, but... Who wrote the book on the thing? Like, it was just some dude. Like, it wasn't like, you know, they may have known a thing or two. And Wikipedia is kind of the same way. It's like, typically, articles <laughs> are written by people that know a thing or two about the thing. Not always, but sometimes. Always. Sometimes <laughs> not. <laughs> because, yeah, occasionally people's Wikipedia entry gets hacked. <laughs> yeah, but for the most part, like... If you're just trying to get a cursory glance on something, it's pretty useful. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, no, links to almost everything are in the show notes um, where you can find us, you know, Discord. um, That'll be in the show notes as well. Facebook, Twitter, you know, Grievance Line will be listed there as well. If you have any complaints, file them to Steve at me and Steve Talk RPGs. You've got a complaints line? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, We have a P.O. box that you can send the uh, letters to. Just ask us and we'll send you a self-addressed stamped envelope. Yep, because I was going to say the wrong thing. But uh, <laughs> yep, just ask us. We'll send you a, a stamped envelope and you can file your grievance that way. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. And with that, we want to remind everybody to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Take care, y'all. Bye. Bye.
intro and outro music by the band 12 noon you can email us at me and steve rpg at gmail.com you can find us on twitter and rpgs find us on facebook at me and steve rpg podcast on discord at me and steve rpgs and as always all of these links are in the show notes thank you and be kind to one another Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. Yeah, I figured, what the hell? Why not have some fun? Yeah. Why not? What are we talking about? I don't know. What are we talking about? (laughs) 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 Haven't made it that far yet. So far, we were talking about how do you play RPGs that are based off of single character IPs? Um, Oh, single character IPs. Yeah, stuff like James Bond or Indiana Jones. With very small parties. (laughs) You want to know what's kind of scary, Hooli? I got a, a, a message on Facebook today. From one of the guys who was part of Victory Games. Oh, yes. <gasps> From James Bond. Yes. Cool. Turns out yeah. he's now teaching game design at a local university. Wow. James Bond is a really good game. I've played it. Yeah, I remember you brought it up as Game of the Week. Oh, one no, of the times you were on. Oh, f- I've got to pick up Game of the Week. Jesus. <laughs> 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 I knew there's always. <laughs> oh, I mean, we could just have a good old nerd out. Yeah, uh, let's. But I'm still going to pick up game of the week. Jesus. <laughs> um, if I turn and look at my, um, can I pick Genesis? Um, <laughs> I think I picked that a couple months ago. <laughs> um, I'm looking at my collection, going. Uh... <laughs> Oh, I, I have one picked out. It's a little obscure one that I think will be good for laughs and ties into the episode that dropped today, actually. So mm-hmm. slightly in a bizarre steve sort of way. Anyhow, <laughs> give me like two seconds, guys. I got to grab a water. All right. Which reminds me, I should refill my tea. Refill your tea. What are you, English? No, iced tea. Oh. Actually, it's half and half, iced tea and lemonade. <laughs> Ah, that's more American. <laughs> well, it's actually, they call it an Arnold Palmer, who is actually the golfer, who is actually from like 20 minutes down the road from where I live. Well, there you go. You don't get more American than that. I love that it's getting cold enough now that I can just leave my case of water on the porch and not have to worry about actually refrigerating it. Wow. Uh, if I was to do that, I'm worried about uh, the plastic melting into the concrete. <laughs> I'll see what was it this morning when I left for work in your temperature, it was about minus seven. Wow. It hit 35 degrees. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. About <laughs> 90-ish, I think. Mm-hmm. Is it? 90, 100. Right. Yes. So it was hot. We were driving around all day and it was freaking hot. Do we want to talk about what we look for in a game that we buy? Like why you buy a new game? Because I want it. 
because I want to know how they do things so I can do things better in Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> because it's got a shiny piece of art on the outside. <laughs> I just had a thought. I, I think I would... I would probably buy it, whatever it was. You remember in the nineties when like comic books would have like holographic covers, mm. super shiny covers. Yep. Give me a, give me a nice RPG rule book with a really nice holographic shiny cover. And I would probably buy it no matter what it is. Wow. <laughs> That's hard to do in PDF. Well, yes. <laughs> Just has a gift for a cover. <laughs> and the gift is somebody like... twisting the book left and right. <laughs> Download this video. Uh, <laughs> I don't know whether that would work. Um, have you ever considered why it is that we like shiny things? I imagine it's just because I'm uh, I'm secretly a bird. I have the attention span of a bird, and I just I'm a flightless bird. So I get really angry sometimes. So Steve is a penguin, an angry I would, penguin. Wouldn't say penguin. I, I mean, maybe an ostrich, maybe an emu. An emu. <laughs> we call them emus. Emus. It's like yes. it's got two e's at the end, at the start. <laughs> at the start. Yes, we say everything backwards here in Oz. Emu. Isn't that cat email? <laughs> <laughs> mm, no, female. Yeah, we need to shout out. Um, we'll do Stag Drag is the next on the list. Yeah, Stag Drag would be the next on the list. Let's do it. And they Dude. do IP actual plays. Yep. So there it ties in. All goes for a full circle, and we haven't even started yet. Wow. All right. Well, good chat. <laughs> <laughs> do, 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 do. Okay. The Are you still there? Yes, I am still here. Okay. It, it not, worked. <laughs> you're not here? Are you a figment of our imaginations? I'm a pigment of your imagination. <laughs> okay. All righty then. I imagine like magenta. Uh, yeah. I'm more of a turquoise, sort of a dark turquoise fan. Because <laughs> I like blue, but I like green. But I, yes, anyway. But yeah, that's a lot of... Thumbs to have your your finger in. That's whatever the phrase is. I'm one of these people who stuffs up phrases all the time. <laughs> Very, did fingers in pies. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> it's a lot of thumbs to have your fingers in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, anytime you're reading my stuff, you know that it's written by an idiot. Yes, but... <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to call you out like that, but I just thought that turn of phrase was a good one. Well, you know, it's like I tell people, if you see me reading your book, you know it's being read by an idiot. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, DVE <laughs> always used to say, uh, self-abuse stomped antelope. And <laughs> that's what I was going to say. And I was like, no, that doesn't sound right. That's not appropriate. <laughs> an antelope, that sounds like something that you'd hunt in Africa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hope I didn't gab on too much. No, oh. not at all. We had no idea what this episode was going to be going into it. So you coming in and, and I mean, you've listened to our show. That's yeah, kind of what our show is like. <laughs> but I like that about you, Sarah. That's the whole thing. Oh, dear. It's, That's it's the thing I like about our show, too. Only... And secondly, I love the sound of my own voice. Because yeah. it's 
stupid and sultry. Anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> I think the perfect game for the four of us to play, however, would be um, Tune. Well, Tune, <laughs> or I was actually thinking Men in Black. Oh my god! But see, again, that's another thing that that's to reiterate back what what you said before, Steve. Mm. Um, is when it comes to certain IPs that have only got a couple of characters or one character, how do you do Men in Black as a group? Yeah, but Men in Black sets up a world that has multiple agents. Well, absolutely. And, you know, you are playing multiple agents. So you're playing in the world as opposed to playing, like, those characters like Jane. Right. See, in, in my mind... In my mind, Indiana Jones is Indiana Jones, period. Like, hmm? there's other people who may be archaeologists, but nobody else is Indiana Jones. No, that's right. And James so, Bond. Yeah. James Bond what? is not, there's not more than one. I don't know. I, I, for whatever reason, feel that there's not more than one agent in the James Bond universe. Like, it's just him. He's the only one that works at MI6. That's why he's in charge of everything. <laughs> well, but I think, but we know that there's other double O's, but normally they go bad. Yeah, <laughs> so that's that's why he's the only one that you know. Well, this is the point I was trying to make at that at that thing is that like in in Men in Black, the IP that you're playing with isn't was it J and K, right? It's mm. the the agency and the world they've set up. Hmm. Where Indiana Jones, to specifically, doesn't have that. It yeah. does, but it doesn't. So we know that there is, well, there's Indiana Jones, and you can play that character, or you just play in the world where it's not really, it, it no longer becomes Indiana Jones. It then becomes pulp action, doesn't right. it? I think that's what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah. So it becomes a genre as opposed to what the IP is about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's well, where I was. That's where you were going. There you go. Yeah. You can slice that in. Slice. <laughs> <laughs> the magic of editing. <laughs> you can make that happen. 